0: Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Bryn. Uh, I'm one of the student ministers here. Uh, Being school holidays, we're in the non-ratings period, so I've been called on. Uh, How about I pray for us as we start our time together? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for these stories from two kings. We do pray that you'd help us to see your character in them and see the wonderful ways that you act. And we pray, Lord, that this would help us have eyes uh, to see Christ and to put our trust in him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm not sure if you remember, but shortly after ScoMo finished up as Prime Minister, he did this sermon uh, where he said this. He said, we don't trust in governments. Does anyone remember this? There's, um, There should be a picture on the next slide of the news article. Uh, now, it seems like mainstream media took this probably as badly as you could take it. They thought, all right, you know, he's on his way out. He's taking pot shots as he's going down. When he was prime minister, he was calling people to trust the government. Now he's saying, we don't trust in governments. Now, look, I don't really know if he was trying to take any pot shots or not. I think personally, if you look at the full quote, uh, he's contrasting trusting in governments with trusting in God as our hope for the future. But, either the way, whatever ScoMo was meaning by, I think it raises a really good question. Are our human authorities reliable? Should we trust in them for our future, for our security, for our happiness? Well, I'm not sure if you noticed, but as we had the reading from two kings today, it is talking about authorities and powers. is talking about clashes of nations and rulers and kings. And what we're going to see amongst it all, we're going to be seeing an answer to that question. And we're going to be seeing that God is the one who proves that he is in control and he is the one that we should be putting our trust in. Well, to just give you a little bit of a lay of the land, the last few chapters, we've been seeing how God provides for his people through the prophet Elisha. And he's been doing that kind of in these sort of private matters, right? Uh, there was the widow and the oil, you know, providing for her needs. There's the Shunammite woman who had infertility issues and he gave her a son and then gave him back from the dead when he died. And there was the deadly stew and as we heard last week, there was the healing of Naaman the leper. Right? There's been all these kind of smaller private issues in which God provides. And to just give you a little bit of a roadmap for the two chapters that we're looking at today, we have these three stories. And the first little story is kind of another one of those little private matters, a smaller issue. And then the second two stories, of which we're only really going to be looking at the first one, so we're going to be looking at the middle story today, well, those stories, we're starting to broaden our scope in seeing God's dealings, not just with you know individuals here and there, but with whole nations on the international scene. But it is really interesting that our passage today, uh, and this is before the Bible reading actually, so keep your Bibles open, at the very start of chapter 6, we have this little story you'll see here, there, it's about the axe head, Elisha and the axe head. And it's another tiny little story that we're not going to go into in much depth, but a story of God providing. Now, the sons of the prophets were building a nice little log cabin by the Jordan River, and an axe head falls into the river. So that's what happens in the story. And the guy cries out, it was borrowed, it's a rental, I need that back. And so Elisha provides, God provides through Elisha by making the axe head float back to the surface, and he gives it back to the guy. And it's interesting that, sort of before we had the passage we just had read, that's the little episode that happens. And I wonder if there's a little bit of a point there for us already. It's almost as if they've saved the smallest miracle for last, right, the most insignificant little miracle for last. And I think it's a reminder, before we get into these big concerns of nations trying to kill the Israelites of warring kingdoms, I think it's a little reminder that even in the most trivial or insignificant aspects of our lives, God cares. He provides. And then from that context, we zoom out, right, The camera zooms out to this huge issue from an axe head to warring nations and kings and armies. You can't get much bigger contrast, right? It's, it's from Jordan losing his power tool to Russia against Ukraine. That's the sort of scope that we're jumping to in the passage today. And now this was already hinted at actually back in chapter five, verse one. Naaman, if you remember, Naaman came from Aaron. He was a commander from that army. And back in chapter 5, verse 1, it said that Naaman was great because through Naaman, the Lord had given victory to Aaron. So we've already had that little hint there. We already see God working on that sort of international level. But now that takes centre stage in our passage today. God is not just a God who looks after his people in one little patch of grass. You know, maybe the odd foreigner here or there. God is the one and only God who rules and governs all the nations. That's what we're looking at today. So we're at point one on your handouts. Please do keep your Bibles open and follow along. We're at verse eight. God frustrates humankind's futile plans. Now we're taken from the Jordan River to the war room of the king of Aram. Now they're Israel's northern neighbours and they're plotting, they're scheming where they're going to attack Israel. But Israel is always one step ahead because they've got a super weapon. They've got the faithful prophet Elisha. And Elisha, he warns the king of Israel. So all these schemes of the evil king of Aram amount to nothing. And understandably, the king of Aram is furious. Look at verse 11 with me. He says, tell me, Which one of us is for the king of Israel? We've got a mole. We've got a spy. He's trying to weed him out. But his servants protest, right? And I'm not really sure how they know this exactly. I guess Elisha has got a bit of a reputation by now. But the servants, they say this, no one is for the king of Israel, my lord. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in your bedroom. How do you fight against that? Well, I watched a video this week of uh, Bill Gates playing chess. You know Bill Gates, the billionaire, the tech genius, the mastermind. But he was up against a chess grandmaster, a guy called Magnus Carlsen. How long do you reckon Bill Gates lasted? Well, it took Magnus 11 seconds to beat him. And Bill Gates even said, they said, here's Bill Gates, one of the most intelligent people in the world, and he said, not when I'm playing against this guy. And I think that's kind of what's going on here, right? We're seeing kings, we're seeing rulers do these things, come up with these plots and schemes. They might be big, powerful people, but actually up against God and his prophet, well, it's child's play. I think the point is, in, in this first little bit, you know, it's this great series of events, but you see, you, you can't outsmart the one who knows all things. You can't catch him by surprise. You can't attack his people without his knowing or without his allowing. And I kind of can't help but have Psalm 2 sort of playing in the background as I read this passage, right? It's almost like the background music to this passage is Psalm chapter 2. We've got it on the screen there. I'll read it after. It says, "Why do the nations rebel and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and His anointed one. Let us tear off their chains and free ourselves from their restraints. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. You see, God mocks the petty, futile plans of tiny people." And look, there, there are some incredibly intelligent, powerful, influential people who are out there and throughout history and ones who have treated God and Christians with a lot of contempt. But isn't it such a comfort that we see in our passage? No matter what they can plan or think up, God's never caught by surprise. They can never stop God working for the good of his name and for the good of his people. And I've been thinking about this a bit for myself because uh, Kate and I and Lydia, we're going to be moving back to Melbourne in a couple months pretty soon. Uh, And sometimes I do get a bit daunted, a bit fearful thinking about, well, hang on, there's actually laws in Victoria and it looks like it's going more and more this direction. Where even just if I try to teach the Bible faithfully, I could be put in jail. I could be given a criminal sentence. There's people there with a lot of power who could do some things which I would find very scary. Or, you know, we might just be turning on the news and seeing some of the world rulers and feeling pretty nervous, thinking what might happen. You know, the press of a button in our world at the moment, a lot could go badly. But here, as we're seeing God zoom out to this international scene, actually we're seeing we have a sovereign God who is never outsmarted. We have a God who works all things, even the plots of wicked men, for his and our good. Well, we're at point two on our outline, God's unseen protection. Now, as the story continues, the military failures continue. Now, the Aramean king, he just failed to attack Israel, but now he thinks he'll have a better shot going after the prophet. The prophet who knows what he says in his bedroom, all right? Doesn't sound like the greatest plan, but we'll see how he goes. So, he sends his army to capture Elisha. And I just love the picture of verse 15. Have a look at verse 15. You know, I'm seeing Elisha's servant. He gets up early. He's got a cup of coffee in his hand, probably the Dothan Morning Herald. Steps out on the porch in his ug boots. That's not exactly in the text. I'm reading between the lines there. And there's an army there. There's an army on his doorstep. He discovered an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city. Right? Chariots are the army tanks of the ancient world. So he is completely surrounded by this huge army. And so, understandably, he turns to Elisha and says, My master, what are we to do? Yet his master calmly replies, look at verse 16. Don't be afraid, for those who are with us Outnumber those who are with them. And I think if you are the server night right now, you'd be thinking, Elisha, like, you should have gone to specsavers. This is the two of us. What are you thinking? But Elisha replies, no, you should have gone to specsavers. Verse 17. Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes. He looked and saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. This stuff gives me goosebumps, right? This is like the, you know, the your back's against the wall, no way out, hopelessly outmanned and outgunned. But then, hallelujah, right? I'm thinking, I don't know if there's any Lord of the Rings fans here, but you know, the battle for Helm's Deep. Right, They're hemmed in, there's no way out. Gandalf, he says, look to my coming on the first light of the fifth day. At dawn, look to the east. Right, it's this against all odds sort of story, an impossible bat- battle, certain defeat, suddenly turned on its head. And the servant sees this great army that is fighting for him and Elisha. I think amazingly, Jesus actually could see the same thing right before his death. As Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, do you remember what he said? His disciples were trying to fight off those who were capturing Jesus. He said, put your sword back or do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will provide me at once with more than 12 legions of angels? A legion was about 6,000 troops. So Jesus going, I've got 72,000 angels just waiting to go. You see, when it comes to power when it comes to strength, God doesn't lack resources. You can't outgun the one who has all power. And I just love passages like this, because it's one of those moments where you've kind of got the curtains drawn back on reality, and we get to see how things really are. Right? Because, you know, we often just, we prefer the tangible things, we prefer what we can see, what's right in front of our faces, you know, our situation, our circumstances, whatever it might be. But ironically, often it's the thing right in front of us that actually blinds us to the way things really are. But God here opens the eyes of the servant to see reality in its fullness, to see actually he has this huge army that will protect him. Isn't this the Christian life? You see, here in Sydney, you know, we might not have armies on our doorstep, but we do face the constant threats and attacks of what the Bible calls our enemies, the world, sin, and the devil. We we might feel alone as Christians are belittled, or we might feel powerless in the face of our sin or the sin of others, but eyes of faith show us that that couldn't be further from the truth. And it's a simple application, but Elisha's words to his servant are words for us. He says, don't be afraid. Or as Jesus tells his disciples in John 16, he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in the world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. See, it's with spiritual eyes that we see that by Jesus' death and resurrection, he has already overcome our worst enemies. He's already overcome our sin, He's already overcome the world and the devil. And so those who believe in him don't need to fear, right? Our sin can't condemn us because Jesus has already paid for it. The world can't destroy us because our lives are already hidden with Christ. And though we might die, we live forever. And even though the devil can thrash around all he wants, he's already been cast down by Jesus and has no power to accuse. And so even though, with our physical eyes, it might look like we're losing the battle at times. It might look like we're hopelessly outgunned. You know, and Jesus does tell, us, tell his disciples that they should expect to suffer. We do take comfort, though, in the reality, in the true reality that we can see that Christ is already victorious. And we know that for those who are God's children, for those who trust in him... No enemy can truly prevail against us when God is for us. Well, we're at point three on your handouts, humiliation and deliverance. Now, we come up to the wrapping up of this little episode, which, as you'll see, ends in humiliation for enemies and deliverance for Israel. So look at the story from verse 18. Now, Elisha prays, which, by the way, is the main thing he does in this passage, which once again just shows us it is God who is really acting here, Elisha prays, Please strike this nation with blindness. And so the army that's come to capture him, they're, they're put into some sort of stupor. And he leads them along the way, sort of, you know, like a herd of sheep or something. And then he prays again, just like with his servant, he prays that God would open their eyes now. And it's not to see heavenly protection, but to see that they've been defeated see that actually they've been brought into their enemy's capital city. They're brought into Israel's capital city, Samaria. Now, they're the ones who are surrounded. Now, if you look at verse 21, you'll see that the king of Israel, he's pretty eager to show off his strength. He says, my father, should I kill them? I will kill them. But Elisha stops him. And he tells the king of Israel, no, feed them and send them on their way. And it's a strange little sort of situation. It's hard to know what to make of some of the details. And I think there is an element of mercy there, the fact that you know God spares them and sends them on their way. But I actually reckon it's the ultimate power move. right? I reckon it's something that shows God's power even more than just wiping them out. You see, they are such a non-threat that we'll just let them go. I think it's a humiliating defeat. For the armies of Aram, despite their best efforts, remember they set out to capture Elisha and now instead they find themselves being treated as captives, yet mercifully spared, which as we see in verse 23 brings peace. But once again, I think this little episode underlines the point that you don't mess with God. But as we see at the ending here, it also sort of shows us the flip side of of seeing God's protection. So it was the exact same language, right? Did you notice how just as Elisha's servant had his eyes open to see God's great protection, the Aramean army needed their eyes opened to realise it was game over. They'd been captured. And so I think for a lot of us today, while we need our eyes opened to realise God's wonderful protection, to realise God's wonderful victory for us has already been won in Christ. Actually, some of us need our eyes open to see that we can't outplay God. You see, there will be a day when rejecting God, when opposing his people and ignoring his anointed one, the King Jesus, there will be a day when that will be exposed for what it is. And let me warn you, on that day, it will not be a feast and then go on your merry way. It will be a humiliating defeat for those who reject God. But it will be a victorious and a glorious victory for those who love him. Well, as we come to the end of our passage, I'm just going to reflect briefly on what have we seen. So, to return to our initial question, should we trust in governments? Well, I hope we've seen this morning that the plots of human authorities are futile compared to God. God cannot be outsmarted. No plan of a king or a ruler can catch him by surprise. And we've seen he can't be outnumbered, he can't be outgunned. And so we've seen that international affairs aren't something beyond God's sovereignty. He's not God being sovereign isn't about him just doing nice little things for people here and there, though he does do that. We've seen that just as the axe head wasn't too small for him, neither is any army too big for him. And whether or not people intended actions for good or evil, God ultimately works them for his glory and the good of his people. And so once again, when you know perhaps we turn on the news or when we hear of yet another war, or yet another evil regime doing terrible things. We don't need to be afraid. But we can pray that God would open our eyes to see things as they really are. God is in control. Furthermore, he has already defeated our worst enemies on the cross. And he is with us always. And as we saw at the end too... God will deliver those who trust in him. He gave the Israelites protection. He saved them from the advances of the Aramean army. But just remember that warning at the end too. Those who actually have rejected him, those who oppose him and his people, will eventually find humiliation. How about I pray for us? Heavenly Father, We thank you so much for these stories in two kings. We thank you that they show us who you are and what you've done. We thank you, Lord, that you cannot be outsmarted. We thank you, Father, that you cannot be outgunned. We do pray that you would help us to see things as they really are. We pray that you'd help us to have eyes to see Jesus and that he has already won the victory. And so we pray, Father, when we face Powerful nations when we face strong leaders doing the wrong thing. And we pray that our hope and our, and our joy and our security would not be in them, but it would always be in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.